In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. When we encounter Jesus in the Gospel this morning, he is giving the second half of his instructions as he prepares the disciples to go out to the towns and villages of Israel. In the first half, he tells them what to do and how to do it. Proclaim the good news. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. In the second half, today's complex passage, Jesus clarifies the stakes, the weight of what his disciples are taking on. He tells the disciples not to expect just rejection, but outright persecution. He is delivering a message intended in the words of the prophet Isaiah, to strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. The core of his message for those about to face persecution is the same as the one given by the angels to Mary and the shepherds. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid of those who persecute you, for the truth I disclose to you now will soon be disclosed to all. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body, because the body is all they can kill. Do not fear the day that you may fall as a sparrow falls from the sky, landing on the ground a hollow feathered husk. God's eye is on that sparrow, and even more is God's eye trained on you. Okay. Good. But what are we, 21st century American Christians, to make of this advice for handling persecution? Even in the church's diminished state today, in an America that has, it seems, less and less use for faith, a life of faith is more an interesting character trait than it is a cause for persecution. But rather than admitting that we are a comfortable people, some have cited such calumnies as the war on Christmas as examples that persecution of Christians is prevalent in this country. But that is, to borrow a phrase, fake news. So what does this gospel have for us, comfortable Christians, today? Howard Thurman begins his brief, magnificent 1949 book, Jesus and the Disinherited, with an unsparing critique of institutional Christianity. To those who need profound succor and strength to enable them to live in the present with dignity and creativity, he writes, Christianity often has been sterile 
and of little avail. Too often the price exacted by society for security and respectability is that the Christian movement in its formal expression must be on the side of the strong against the weak. He goes on, the masses of men live with their backs constantly against the wall. They are the poor, the disinherited, the dispossessed. What does our religion say to them? Thurman's work was a foundational text that informed the methods and message of the civil rights movement. Within its pages are a stirring call for those under oppression to claim their dignity and self-worth as children of God and a vision for reconciliation between oppressor and oppressed grounded in the idea that loving one's enemy requires that a fundamental attack must be made on the enemy status. It's amazing, inspiring stuff. And yet, some 70 years after its writing, the text breathes just a bit too much. It has a stronger pulse than is typical of what otherwise looks like a dusty but eloquent historical document. For while the battle against racial segregation, Thurman's central concern in this book, has long since been won, if by winning, one simply means that the laws that enforced it are no longer on the books. A great many of the facets of life that accompanied segregation are still with us. Thurman describes a world where the disinherited have it burned into them that they do not count and that no provisions are made for the literal protection of their person. He describes a world where parents transmit to their children skills for literal survival in a system stacked against them. He describes a world where for black and brown people, violence at the hands of the powerful can come from nowhere and as pernicious as the violence itself is its constant threat. Thurman is writing to men and women of color, but even among the majority of us in this congregation who are white, many of us know in our bones what this feels like. That for some of us to hold hands in public or to present as our true gender is to invite violence. That to struggle with health or money is to solicit derision from, from congressmen who say that it would all be affordable if you just bought a cheaper phone. It is, in, it is in today's gospel that Thurman finds hope for the disinherited. For it is here that we find Jesus asserting the fundamental dignity of his followers. At the same time, he asks us to boldly accept the risks. 
When Jesus says to his disciples, whoever does not take up the cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Remember, the disciples don't yet know that the crucifixion is to come. Rather, Jesus refers to the daily landscape of horror that is part of the Roman occupation, the violence that it takes to keep a troublesome people in line. We can be thankful that crucifixions are no longer part of our daily landscape, but the terrors have only transformed, not disappeared, in a country where driving while black can be a capital offense, where being mentally ill and calling 911 to report a burglary can get a pregnant woman shot dead in front of her children. We're standing up for a Muslim woman being harassed by a white supremacist on a train can be rewarded with a fatal stab in the throat. Jesus says, do not fear those who can kill the body and not the soul. For as hard as any of us try, whatever rules we might follow, there are no guarantees and a life spent simply trying to survive at all costs, risks, as Thurman puts it, the deep humiliation of dying without cause or purpose. Rather, we are called, at whatever risk, to testify to the God in whose image we are made, and perhaps more so as people who can mostly make such an assertion with relative safety, assert and defend that dignity for those who are too often denied it. As Christians in our baptism, we have promised to seek and serve Christ in all others, to seek him. Abraham, rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with the child and sent her away. And she departed and wandered about in the wilderness. It is to our shame that Abraham and Sarah, our great ancestors in faith, cast the woman and child who first gave them hope for their future into the wilderness. If nothing else, that is proof that sin is always with us. But our faith teaches us to listen for the voice crying out in the wilderness. Let us hear it and there find Christ's calling. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen.